Hey, hey! Welcome to the Dark Dreams and Troubled Souls podcast, where I read my weird stories just for you. Today's story is Pontiac. Are you ready? Here we go. Patrol Officer Alan Baker passed the rusty pale blue Pontiac Bonneville on the way to his favorite diner, Maeve's Grill, vowing to check on the car on his way back. He hadn't seen it around before and figured it must belong to some unlucky tourist who made a wrong turn. He glanced at his rear view as he left the car behind, making sure no one was waiting for help. He wouldn't abandon anyone on that winding, secluded road. Anything could happen out there, with the woods crowding so close. This was bear country, after all. Once the aroma of grease at Maeve's hit him, he all but forgot about the car. The waitress brought him a plate of his usual cheeseburger and fries, junk food his wife forbade. He had to eat it during lunch breaks when he was on duty, when she was in the office, and he relished every bite. Then lunch was done, and it was back to work. As he wound back down the road, the Pontiac remained, obstinate in the warm, humid day. It was parked in a bad spot, ticking up too much of the road. Someone might hit it. He found a spot to turn around and pulled up behind the thing with his lights on. He tried to run the tags, but his laptop had no connection. That's when he noticed the quiet. No voices emanated from his radio. He tried to call in. He checked his phone. No signal. Every communication device in his car was doing its best paperweight impression. He was supposed to report hardware failures immediately. He was supposed to drive into the station because this situation, no matter how innocuous it might seem one moment, could slide sideways in an instant. Alan scanned his surroundings. No cars passed. No one appeared to lurk nearby. He jotted down the tag number on a good old-fashioned notebook. He'd check it when he got back to the station. Then... Against his best instincts, he got out of the car. Somewhere, a breeze whispered through leaves, but here, the old trees were still, as if captivated by whatever he was about to do. Beams of sunlight streaming through the canopy scattered shards of white gold illumination across the pavement, across the hood of his car, in the trunk of the Pontiac. The day was heavy and thick and wrong. He unsnapped the top of his holster and rested his hand on the gun as he approached the rear end of the car. The baby blue paint was mottled and pockmarked by rust, but the surface of it looked strangely flat, as if coated in waxy film. Alan moved forward, noticing the same film on the windows, on the mirror. It looked too thick to be dust. When he saw no one inside the car... He reached toward the glass to swipe his fingers across the surface, fully expecting dust and grime to cling to him. As he made contact with the surface, he stopped for a moment. It wasn't glass. It was warm, but not warmed by sunlight. His brain grappled for a comparison, and seconds later, when it came up with one, he recoiled, gasping, staggering into the road. He got a hold of himself and shook his head. Skin. The window felt like skin. His gaze traveled down the flank of the car. 
He chose a spot right above the front wheel, where rust had burrowed deep enough to make a hole, fixed his gaze on it as he moved to touch the thing again. Stealing himself for the strangeness of it, he reached once more. He worked his finger into the rust, pulling away particles for inspection. He rolled them against his thumb. Normal. He let his palm rest against the fender, and that felt normal too. He laughed to himself and shook his head. He started back toward his car. Over the crunch of his shoes on roadside pebbles, he heard a sound. Alan stopped. Several moments passed in the near silence of the eerie day, and he moved on. As he opened his car door, he heard it again, a keening that began as mournful an animal, echoing. The sound shifted to become the cry of a woman, electrifying the hair on his arms and the nape of his neck. He stared into the trees next to the road, the direction from which he thought it must have come. His radio and phone were still useless. He considered venturing into the trees. He could leave, go get help, and return. But what if she didn't have that kind of time? He remembered a news story from a couple years prior. A gang lured a couple of cops into a back alley and mugged them for their guns, took their badges, nearly beat both officers to death. He didn't want to be the next news story. And besides, there was only one of him. With no one to watch his back, that made him even more vulnerable. The woman's voice came again. She called for help once. Twice. Please, can anyone hear me? Oh, God. Don't, intuition begged him. The warm air had grown stifling and smelled strangely burnt. His hand rested on the butt of the gun but the presence of his weapon offered little comfort. Then came the scream, a drawn-out, torturous thing that sent the fire of adrenaline rushing through his veins. Before he could even think, his legs launched into action. He rushed into the forest, gun now in his hand. Several yards into the trees, the scream stopped, and so did he. He needed a better idea of where she was. Hello? he said into the forest. The woman cried and let a pained moan. Help me! Please help me! Can anyone hear me? It came from Alan's left. He dashed through the forest, dodging trees, winding his way down to a dry creek bed. He followed the sound of her voice further and further away from the road, further into isolation, further into the green. At the top of a hill, he turned to look behind him. The road, his car, anything that resembled the safety of civilization was somewhere far behind him. Why would the driver of the Pontiac have wandered this far from the road? He turned again, and there she was. A pair of trees had fallen some time ago, one landing flat on the ground, the other broken, the halves propped into an upside-down V-shape the source of the cries, a redhead in her forties, sat behind the log, struggling as if the lower half of her were pinned somewhere in the mess of dead branches and the weeds that had sprouted among them. The blue sweater she wore was filthy and tattered as if she'd been out there for days. 
Alan tightened his grip on his gun. This still didn't feel right. The scene had a certain askew quality, and he couldn't figure out why. He scanned the trees around them as he spoke. Morgan County Sheriff, what's going on here, ma'am? Will you please help me? Her blue eyes were wide and pleading as tears streamed down her scratched red face. Her fingers clawed the top of the log strangely. They were bleeding, and the pinky on her left hand bent at an unnatural angle, broken, but it didn't seem to faze her. What happened here? He wanted to step closer to get a better look, but hesitated. Are you alone? Will you please help me? She rocked, as if trying to pull herself up and over the log. More firmly, he repeated his question. Are you alone? Help me. Please help me. She reached the hand with the broken pinky toward him. I need you to answer me. What's your name? She gasped through tears, breathing harder and faster, her entire body moving with the force of the effort. Oh, God! She was saying the same things over and over. Answer me. Alan's gun was between them now, not aimed at her, but close. He reached for his radio again. Still dead. All of a sudden, the woman stopped rocking. She sat up straighter behind the log, gripped the rotting tree bark with both hands. Panic left her face. Her eyes rolled back into her skull, and her mouth dropped open, wider and wider, like a snake about to swallow prey. She released an otherworldly screech that rose higher and higher, louder and longer, until it threatened to swallow the forest in the beating of Alan's heart. He dropped his gun in the weeds, covered his ears, and fought to remain standing. The sound bore down on him, scrambling his thoughts, seeping through his skin and muscle into his marrow. Movement fluttered somewhere above him, casting shadows, and he looked up to see big shadowy birds taking flight. Then the world tilted sideways, and leaves and stems grated against his skin. His hand found his gun and gripped it tight, taking it with him. His body struck a hard surface, was dragged over it, and into darkness, into moisture, and a stench like blood and rotting flesh. Rows of hooked teeth snagged his clothes in his skin, drawing him deeper into the dark. He pointed the gun away from him as best he could and squeezed the trigger, and the warm, wet thing let a guttural wail that crawled up and draped itself over him. The teeth constricted, shredding his clothes, and then he was on the forest floor, coughing and sputtering, struggling for a sense of balance. He pushed up, arms and legs at the mercy of what seemed like too much gravity, and then he was running through blurs of tree trunks and green. Smaller branches whipped his raw skin, while the undergrowth snagged his feet and his legs. He fell, skinned his palms, got up again, and kept going. He reached for his shoulder radio, but it was as gone as the gun, so he kept running. Breath burned in his chest, and he slowed just enough to check behind him. The forest appeared still 
and normal, with bright shafts of sunlight stabbing through the canopy, reaching to chase away the shadows in the underbrush. As he turned to break into another quick sprint, a thick trunk stopped him with a bone-jarring thud that made him clamp down on his tongue. He fell back into the leaves, dazed, and stared disbelievingly up at the white-barked tree. It wasn't there before he glanced over his shoulder, he was sure. The forest dimmed strangely, as if someone dialed down the sunlight, and he rubbed his forehead, checking for a head injury. Finding no overly tender spots, he got back to his feet. A rustle passed through the leaves, an ominous sound that spurred him to move from that spot again. Now in fear of what might spring into his path, he settled on a brisk walk. He hadn't seen anything following him after all. The shreds of his uniform shirt and his undershirt flapped against his scratched skin. Parts of the fabric that picked up blood were wet and bothersome, serving only to remind him that he was nearly eaten. He removed both shirts and tossed them into the leaves. His pants were in a similar state, but he wasn't about to run around the woods in his underwear, monster or no. He'd lost all track of which direction the robe might lie in, so he kept moving forward ever further from the nightmare. Behind him, the rustle of leaves remained steady, following him for a while. Then, as the sound of rushing water reached him, the source seemed to split into two, and the two kept pace with him, on his right and on his left. Sweat painted thick paths through the grime and the drying blood on his skin. Adrenaline, long since spent, he was trembling, exhausted, probably dehydrated, probably hallucinating at least some of what was going on around him. Maybe he could stop and rest, just for a minute. He leaned against a tree, rested his hands on his knees, and willed his heartbeat to calm. The earth lit a long, low groan that seemed to come from deep underground, the sound rising with a vibration that shook leaves from the trees. Alan was upright again, back flat against the tree, pulse crashing in his ears once more. Then he saw it, the foliage in the distance rising like a tidal wave, lifting leaves and vines into the air, tilting huge trees into precarious angles, and the long, low groan from the earth became a roar. Again he was running. Again he knew he couldn't trust his eyes. This couldn't be real. Then the ground swelled up behind him, lifted him toward trees that had, miraculously, managed to remain upright in the turbulence of the forest that had somehow become an ocean. He was aloft, hurtling toward branches and canopy in the blinding shafts of golden sunlight, but all was not bright. Shadows moved within the flashes of gold and green, swinging like apes, circling in a predator's game. The branches folded around him. They pinned his arms to his sides. With crushing force, they coiled around his arms, their hard skin bruising his soft, and he cried out in the chaos. His words came garbled, desperate like the woman who was not a woman. With the knowledge that no one would come, he called for help. One of the shadows surfaced from the blur. Coal-black claws ripped at the branches, pinning his arms. Then a second set of hands. A third. The shape was nearly human, 
fingers too long, talons too sharp and curved. He twisted in the grip of the branches, in the grip of the monsters fighting over him. He managed to wrench his torso free, and then his legs, and he threw himself into the embrace of gravity, fell several feet, landed on a thick branch. He scrambled down the length of it, kicking the shadows away as four of them descended on him. Below, he spotted the forest floor, now normal. The narrower the branch became, the lower the end dipped toward the ground. He afforded himself a few more feet before dropping again. A claw caught him by an ankle. He hung, swinging as a second clawed hand, and a third tried to haul him back into the tree. He kicked wildly, the ground swinging below him, taunting him. His head throbbed with the rush of blood. If he could just get to the ground. A ripping sound emanated from what was left of his pants. The beast clawed at his skin, already slick with blood. They tried to hold on to his boot, but that too was a losing battle. During his run, he'd felt the laces come loose. Now, as he pinwheeled his arms and kicked, those loose laces became his only hope. They gave way. He hit the forest floor hard. Before he gathered his wits, his legs were already working for him. He pumped them faster than he'd ever thought possible, practically blind with the need to get away. He broke from the trees, found a rocky ledge with a sheer drop on the other side. The stone was warm against his one bare foot. Thirty feet below him, a river flowed lazily. How deep was it? He couldn't tell from so far up. He couldn't see through the murky water. A roar rose from the woods behind him. Another wave was coming for him. If he survived the fall, would it come after him? He could take the plunge for nothing and still wind up in the jaws of the monster. He turned back to the water, where a slight mist dulled the shards of light riding the surface. The drop was far, too far, and if the water was shallow, he'd break every bone, probably die. The rustle of leaves rushed toward him. He wouldn't get away if they grabbed him again. He leaned forward, into the air, and closed his eyes, stomach rising into his throat. He hit the water, and all went dark. The current cooled the cuts on his skin. What remained of his pants flowed around him as he reached for the surface in the sunlight. The air was sweet in his mouth and welcome in his lungs, and the ledge above him remained normal, except for a few leaves fluttering over the edge. He laughed. He pushed his wet hair back from his face. Alan turned in the water, eyeing the low bank at the other side of the river. Like the ledge, it looked like it should, but he couldn't trust it. With no other option, he let the current carry him down the river. He floated on his back for a while when the way was clear, and he stopped at a small waterfall, climbing down the stones there feeling the deeper gashes in his skin open once more. This relative safety wouldn't last. Eyes on both sides of the river followed his every move. He couldn't stay in the water. What the hell was he supposed to do? Minutes later, as if his muscles finally caught on to the hopelessness of his situation, 
His arms and legs grew weaker. Exhaustion hit him all at once, and he caught himself on a boulder at the center of the river. He needed to rest, just for a few minutes. The top of the rock was warm, and he lay down on it, relishing the feel of his skin against the stone. He realized he was drifting from consciousness, and he jolted himself awake, nearly rolling back into the water. He sat up. On the bank to his right, four people stood in a line, expressionless, staring at him. He recognized one of them. It was the woman from the beginning. She still wore the blue cardigan that matched the car, but now she showed no signs of injury, because she wasn't human. She was a lure. Is that what the other three were? Surely whatever hunted him didn't think he'd fall for the same trap. Leave me alone. His voice was raspy as if he hadn't used it in a year. They didn't move. You hear me? Get lost. Two of them were men. One was black and had a mustache and wore a burgundy polo shirt and khakis. The dark-haired white man wore winter-weight overalls in a tawny color. The second woman was blonde and wore a flower-print dress and no shoes. These people didn't belong together. This group was cobbled together somehow. Alan felt the idea rising up from his gut. They looked real, but they weren't. What did that make them? The black man stepped forward from the line. He reached a hand toward Alan. He said, Come on now, I can help you. His smile was reassuring, but false. He added, It will be all right. I'll get you the help you need. I can call an ambulance. Alan stayed where he was, and the stranger stayed where he was, unwilling to get too close to the water. The group of four continued staring at him, motionless, for seconds that elongated into minutes that seemed like far too long. The stranger left his hand extended. What if this is a hallucination? Cold dread washed over Alan. He'd dealt with the mentally ill before while on duty. This could be some psychotic break. What if the man with the outreached hand was the only thing about this scenario that was real? A scent like burnt maple syrup coiled around him again. The air felt strangely thick, and the rush of water seemed to fade into the background. Despite his panic, warmth crept in, spreading throughout his body. He was so tired, tired of running, tired of being afraid. The extended hand meant an end to this ordeal, one way or another. No. The word clawed its way up his throat, all on its own. No. The stranger lowered his hand. He stepped back into line with the others, glancing from side to side, and then he nodded. They joined hands. More people came from the trees. They joined the others next to the creek. They gathered in a group. Ten. Fifteen. So many people. A strange sight in a forest. Alan glanced down at the water in the direction it flowed. His strength was waning, weakness weighing his trembling limbs. If he jumped in and his muscles refused him, he would drown. Was he safe on the boulder? Maybe he could wait them out. When the crowd was complete, 
about twenty of them stood on the bank. A pair of them advanced and walked into the water. Alan had to stop himself from stepping backward. The first one to venture in was a man. He seemed to shrink with every step. Where his legs dissolved, a lumpy, pale gray mass formed in the water. Hips, abdomen, chest. It all became a bridge for the woman behind him. She walked over him, dissolving in the water as he had. Ants. Alan had seen nature videos of ants sacrificing themselves to create bridges for their compatriots to make their way over water. This is how the people who weren't people would come for him. He couldn't breathe. That burnt maple syrup smell invaded his senses again, clouding his sinuses, weaving its way deeper until his vision blurred. His thoughts went a little haywire then. They trailed off in different directions and took a bit of his fear with them. Beneath his feet, the boulder tipped. He sat down, and the warmth of the stone soothed the ache in his muscles once more. He closed his eyes, tilted his head toward the sky to accept heat from the sun. Something heavy splashed into the water a few feet from his head. He opened his eyes. It was a woman fading to gray. Her eyes locked on him with a strange desperation that made his stomach lurch. The hand reaching for him was the last thing to go gray. He started to scramble away, but remembered the edge. Alan got to his feet. The gray bridge now ended at the boulder on which he stood. The woman he'd seen as he woke up served as the last piece of the puzzle, the last piece of her resting on the front of the boulder itself, between him in the path of the river. The remaining trio of people who weren't people ran across the bridge toward him. Alan was out of time. He turned to the side of the boulder furthest from the bank and dropped into the water. The current pushed him sideways into the gray mass, and something below the water gripped his ankle with a strength that made him cry out. He kicked and twisted, trying to break free. Then the two people on the bridge grabbed him by the arms. They heaved him upward, and in that sliver of a moment after the bridge released him, but before all hope was lost, Alan twisted in the air. With his right leg, he made contact with the woman in the sundress. Her blonde hair caught the sunlight as she toppled sideways. Then Alan was falling back into the water. He forged into the current moving as fast as the water in his aching body would carry him. A sound of heavy breathing and the thumps of footfalls on his right reached him. The two remaining people ran along the bank, following him as he swam. He pushed harder and left them behind, and soon open water spread before him. It was darker, colder than the river. His pursuers vanished. He turned around in the lake, scanning the trees at the bank, the mouth of the river. How fast were they moving? How far would they chase him? He kept swimming until he could go no further. Then he floated on his back and stared up at the sky. He knew then that he would live through this. He could go back to his life. All he had to do was get home. He summoned the last of his strength for the final stretch a red and chrome building gleamed in the distance. He knew instantly what it was. Alan swam for it, praying that when he got there, 
It would be safe. He kept one eye on the closest bank, but exhaustion was the real enemy. It folded around him, heavy, and lulling him into a kind of dreamy fog. He remembered his wife, Sherry, of the curly hair, memories of her gap-toothed grin, and the way she kissed him prodded him on. He should have listened to her about the junk food. All that grease was probably weighing him down. He vowed that he would get home to her. Minutes of hard swimming later, his vision faded and then brightened. In and out. Sunlight versus shadow in a battle for his focus. His heart was a lead weight in his chest, a reluctant thing that threatened to quit on him at any moment, and his lungs burned inside his ribs. The building, its patio packed with patrons, was in sight the last time the world faded to black. Birds sang. In the distance, fifties rock played softly. Wet sand warmed his cheek. Hands grabbed his arm. He smacked them away, scrambling, fighting before his eyes were open and his heels dug into the sand. Then he was sitting in the sun, arms shielding his eyes. He smelled wet earth, lake water, and grilled meat. Where? It was the only word he could force from his body. Nothing lurked in the water. The people surrounding him looked normal. He hoped they were. He prayed they were because he didn't have the strength to run or swim any further. The End Thank you for listening to the Dark Dreams and Troubled Souls podcast. If you'd like to help a girl out, please rate and review the podcast. Additionally, more fiction is on the way, so be sure to subscribe if you'd like to get in on that. The full series, which includes stories not featured here, is available in ebook form on Amazon. My website and blog can be found at www.leary.com. See you next time.